right, if you folks are ready to get started, we're uh, turning into uh, chapter 6 of Revelation. Uh, the last two chapters we've witnessed heavenly scenes of worship and singing, and uh, that thrills me to know that there's going to be singing in heaven and worshiping. And there's also going to be some shouting, so I'd say get used to it while you're down here. It's alright to do a little bit of it here. But from that scene in heaven now, we move to scenes of divine wrath. Uh, we see pain and suffering on earth. And uh, a lot of people says, well, God is a God of love. Yes, He is. But He's also a God of wrath. And I believe we're, we're inching right up to that time. Uh, we need to remember that the book of Revelations, Revelation, uh, not Revelations, but Revelation is, is not written in necessarily chronological order. Uh, things don't just fall in place consecutively, but uh, in the next few chapters, this chapter all the way up to 19, Revelation takes us through the tribulation period four times. You know, there's four records of the tribulation period, just as in the New Testament, there are four records of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so Revelation gives us that uh, four, four uh, witnesses of the tribulation period. Uh, so this period is broken down into two parts. Two, three and a half year or 42 month uh, uh, sequences. And Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7 called it a time of Jacob's trouble. And then Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says it's a time of trouble such as never was. So this passage uh, of the seven seal scroll or book in the hands of the Lord Jesus begins to be open. And as they're open, we see a series of divine judgment that's poured out on the earth and those who dwell on the earth. And these, uh, these four seals that we're looking at today describe events that will take place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They, uh, they take place on earth after the church is gone, after the rapture of the church. Uh, we will have been caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and there are no Christians left behind. There are no uh, gospel singing and no preaching. We, we live in a world that's in rebellion, even right now, here in America, against God. I heard this week about an atheist group that wanted to remove a, a cross that had been erected as a memorial uh, for soldiers who had died uh, somewhere. I, I don't even remember where it was, but they wanted to move this cross 
because they said that infringes upon the separation of church and state. Well, the <laughs> Constitution of the United States does not separate us in that order. It tells us that Congress will make no rules. That's a one-way path. It don't say Christians can't be involved in government, but government cannot interfere with our religion. But uh, anyway, they wanted to remove that cross. They don't, they don't want to hear or see anything that reminds them of God or what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. So in verse 1, the seal is open, and it says, When I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard as it was the noise of thunder. When we hear the noise of thunder here on earth, we know that a storm is coming. Something, something is about to happen. A storm is coming. And so when they hear this noise of thunder in heaven, uh, there's also a storm that's coming. And uh, the storm of, of God's uh, wrath is about to be unleashed upon the earth that is almost beyond description. We, we, can't, we read this and, and we just can't quite comprehend it. We can't quite imagine how, just how bad that it's going to be. But in verse 2, we see that uh, there's a white horse. It says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, when we read that white horse, we immediately think of Jesus Christ because a few chapters beyond this, we do see the Lord returning, uh, riding upon a white horse, but He don't have a bow. He has a sword, a sharp two-edged sword, and with it He smites the nation. But this guy comes uh, riding a horse, and it says, that he had a bow. Don't mention any arrows. There's no arrows. And of course a bow is no good as a weapon unless it has arrows. And so this man, this teaches us that he's a man coming disguised as one coming in peace. He's coming in peace. And it says, and a crown was given unto him. Well, now Jesus wears a crown, but not a crown. He wears many crowns. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and nobody gives Him a crown. It wasn't something He won. Uh, you know, like the, uh, like the Peace Prize or something. It wasn't something He earned. He wears those many crowns because of who He is. He is God. He is Lord. He's King of kings. And the Bible says he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this one, even though there are a few similarities between this and when Christ comes on the white horse, this man is not Christ. He is the Antichrist. He's coming as a, as a peacemaker uh, 
turn to Second uh, Thessalonians, if you'd like, or just listen to me read it. But in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, this is all about the man of sin, the Antichrist. He said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. So there's going to be deceivers in the world. But he said, let, them, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin reveal the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Talking about the Holy Spirit, the church. Uh, we are a hindrance to this world system, to the things that this world wants to do. They uh, have passed a law or are considering passing that law. I'm not sure if it's passed in Virginia. Making it possible for a woman to have abortion even while she's dilating. And of course, any time an abortion, it's still killing another human being either way you look at it. But he says, uh, He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The world is bad even with the church here. But brother, when the church is gone and the Holy Spirit is gone, the world is going to learn the value of a Christian. You got a Christian neighbor, you got something valuable. You got a Christian brother or sister, you got something valuable. And of course, if you're a Christian, you've got something valuable. But we, we are a hindrance to Satan and to his work that he wants to do here on earth. And, and I just imagine that a whole bunch of them is going to rejoice when we come up missing. <laughs> but not for long. And then that wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they love not the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So this writer is not the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, he had a crown given to him. That was the victor's crown. Uh, 
It's a prize. But Jesus didn't wear that same kind of crown. He's going to have a diadem. I like what the songwriter said. He said, All hell the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. I like that. That's the crowns that Jesus is going to wear. So we see this rider had a bow. Jesus had a sword. This rider is a man of peace. Uh, he had no arrows to fight with, put in that bow. And uh, this world will think that he is a genius. That he is the one that's going to solve all the world's problems. That he's going to bring peace. And the world is right. They're ready for that kind of a man to come into the world. Uh, Jesus said, I come in my Father's name and you will not receive me. Another will come in his own name and him you will receive. We just read a moment ago where he said that uh, because they would not believe the truth that God would send them strong delusion that they would believe an eye. Believe believe a lie. Uh, Jesus uh, has been rejected. But they will fall head over heels in love with this man. Some may say, oh, our world is too smart for that. Are we really? Of course, we don't know anything about the world. All we know is right here in America. But you listen to them talk. You really think they're smart? Uh, I'm a high school dropout, and I believe I'm smarter than some of them. <laughs> At least I'm smart enough to know that I ain't smart. <laughs> and so I have to depend on the Lord. But uh, uh, the world thought Hitler was a man of peace. And they accepted him as a man of peace. But when, then when he invaded Poland, then they acknowledged the truth, but it was too late. The Antichrist will do the same thing on a worldwide scale. And as I said, the world is ripe for a person to step on the center stage and offer peace. Telling you that the Antichrist is coming, the most wicked man that has ever lived. The Bible calls him son of perdition. The only other person that you read of in the Bible that was called a son of perdition was Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people believe that he will be an incarnated Judas Iscariot. I don't know about that, but I know that the same devil that guided. Judas Iscariot will be also indwelt in this man. And then verses uh, 3 and 4 says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast saying, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him 
a great sword. That's war. Just after the Antichrist comes, saying, peace, peace. Remember God, the Lord Jesus warned us that when they shall say, peace, peace, behold, sudden destruction cometh upon them. And so here we have this other rider on the red horse. And of course, uh, red uh, is the color of fire. D destruction is the color of blood. So when the fire and war are unleashed on the earth, there will be bloodshed on an unbelievable level. Uh, the peace is broken. That peace that was offered is now broken. The rider on the red horse is bringing death and destruction. They tell us that during World War II, 50 million people died worldwide uh, during this period of time. But this, this number will fall short of the millions and millions of uh, people that will die during this period of time, during the tribulation uh, period. So, uh, in Russia, Russia and her allies, found in Ezekiel 38 and 39, prophesied that they will try to invade Israel. And God is going to defeat them on the mountains of Israel and leave but the one-sixth of them. For every 6,000 men, 5,000 are going to be killed, in other words. And that will, that will be happening about perhaps about that time. Uh, but it'll be, it's going to be so great that the Bible tells us that Israel is going to be seven years in just burning the weapons that they leave behind. I can't imagine that. With all the modern equipment that we have nowadays, it looks like it, and as little as Israel is, wouldn't take that long. But the, but the Bible is true. You believe it'll take them seven years just to burn all the weapons and bury the dead. But the wars won't end there. The wars will rage until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns in power and great glory. Can you imagine a world that's so consumed with war and there are no mothers to pray for the soldiers, no fathers to pray for the soldiers that are fighting, and no ministers to be on the battlefield and pray with the soldiers that are in the foxholes? That's the way it's going to be. There won't be anybody there to pray. Uh, that'll be a time of war fought without God, without Jesus, and without hope. And verses 5 and 6 says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. Balance. Young people, the older ones, you, you old folks know what it is. It's an old-fashioned, old old-timey pair of scales to weigh things with. He had a pair of balances in his hand, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny. A measure is about a quart. And they tell me that a measure of wheat, that's what you make bread out of, would feed one man one day. 
And a penny is a day's wages. I used to hear that some of the old timers talking about the time coming when you'd have to take a wheelbarrow, a wheelbarrow of money to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread. And I thought, boy, those old guys are crazy. But we're already way over, what, three, over $3 a loaf for a loaf of bread. And people think, well, if we just raise the minimum wage, well, when you raise something over here, something over here has got to go up too. Now, I, I hate to tell you how old I am, but I, no, I don't really. When Barbara and I got married, I was making a whole dollar an hour. And $10 worth of groceries would last us all week. I mean, with both of us eating, too. <laughs> and sometime we'd have some of that left. I, I heard a guy saying, you know, the younger people are getting stronger today. He said, he said it used to take a grown man to carry in $10 worth of groceries, one bag under one arm, one under another arm. And he said, now a little kid can run out and bring in $10 worth of groceries in one hand. <laughs> well, it'd be, it'd be nice probably if we could go back to a dollar an hour and everything else come down with it. You know, price of a car, $2,000. Wouldn't that be great? You can't even buy a set of tires for one now for, for $2,000. But uh, this black horse, uh, it's uh, associated with famine as the balance is in his hand. Worldwide war brings about worldwide famine. Uh, some of you may be here and remember rationing during the Second World War. Larry, you remember that? <laughs> Ted, Ted might remember it, but and I don't remember it, but I do remember David and I playing with some little red. It wasn't a piece of money; they call them a token. We played with that. We used it for money, and uh, but that was after the war was over. But there was some of them still left over. They had to have those to buy, uh, you know, a little bit of sugar or. I think gasoline was limited to three, three gallons a week or something like that. And of course, most we didn't have a car, so we didn't need gasoline. But, but I know that they, the military, uh, all of a sudden, they had a great demand for various things, food and gasoline and things. And so the people out here had to... Uh, had to ration those things, and so they would. He, he says here that a that a quart of or a measure of wheat for a penny. Now wheat, like I say, is something they make bread out of. Or you can get three measures of barley. That's something they would feed animals, but you could use it and make bread also for a penny. So you could feed uh, your one working man. Uh, a measure of wheat, and he'd take a day's wages to pay for it, or he could get something cheaper 
uh, three measures of barley for a day's wages and three feed perhaps three people. And then he said, see not, uh, see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The oil and the wine was something that was reserved for rich folks. The oil they made perfumes out of. My goodness, do you realize how much money? Don't, I'm not talking about just in America, but all over the world that people spend on perfume. That would pay our national debt, I bet you. <laughs> and, and then the wine. You, you can't live on wine or alcohol, any kind of alcoholic beverage. In fact, if you drink it enough on an empty stomach, it'll probably eat holes in your stomach and destroy your liver. But those things that are unnecessary... Uh, there's plenty of that. Uh, you didn't have to weigh that out. It's still cheap. It's still purchasable. And so, they, he, God is predicting here a time of great famine. Now, we don't know anything about hunger here in America. We think we do, but we really don't. Did you know that four million people starve to death every year? Not here in America, but all over the world. And especially in those, some of those communistic countries where the leaders eat good, but the people out there don't. I hear people, especially young people today that are in college, talking about the, the greatness of socialism and I've said we ought to gather them all up and let them move to Venezuela for a couple of months just long enough for them to start digging in the garbage to find something to eat and then come back and talk about <laughs> the joys the greatness of socialism by the way God is a capitalist and I can prove that to you with Scripture, but I'm not going there today. <laughs> scripture, scripture backs capitalism. Uh -huh. Did you know that the average American family throws away enough food to feed a family of six in India? That, that irritates me. I hate to see somebody put anything on their plate and then throw it in the garbage. That bothers me. I, I used to tell my kids, I said, if you put something on your plate, you're going to eat it. You might not eat it all this meal, but when you sit down to eat the next time, you're going to get the rest of that. I, I hate that sometimes we have church dinners out here, and I'm, I'm not... You know, I don't sit around. I, when I eat, I eat. I don't watch what everybody else is doing. But sometimes you can't help but notice a kid will pick up that prettiest, white, juiciest piece of fried chicken, the breast, take one bite out of it, and then put it in the garbage. And tell you the truth, it, it makes my hands just itch. <laughs> 
to snatch them up and give them a spanking. <laughs> if something's wrong with it, don't eat it. But if it's a good piece of chicken, don't throw it in the garbage or anything else as far as that goes. But we do. We throw enough food away to feed a family of six in India. There's going to be famine in the world. And I don't know how anybody in America would handle famine because we're not used to it. God has abundantly blessed us. I, I do think that it's going to be harder on the young people because they're not used to eating things like baby lima beans and cornbread. They like potato chips. They like tacos. They like pizza. And uh, that's about it with some of them. But there's not going to be those things. And then in verse 7, 7 and 8, and said, When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed him, and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death, and with the beast of the earth. Now, I don't know how many of you have studied church history, but history repeats itself. Those are the same way that Christians were killed in the Dark Ages under, under Rome, and even under the Roman Catholic Church. They were, if you wasn't a Roman Catholic, they would kill you. Now, you say, oh, Brother Howard, I don't believe that. Study your history. You'll find it. But they, they killed with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Old Nero would dip Christians or pour oil on them and use them to light up his banquet, his gardens when he had a party, and then cover them with animal skins and, and allow the beast, the hungry ferocious beast to come in and kill them. That's going to be repeated. And he, when he says beast, that could even be a rodent. You know, like a, like a rat. Do you know that when people are killed, according to the descriptions that we've just read, the, the, the rat population is going to multiply and multiply and multiply. And they do carry diseases that will kill a person. And so he said, they're going to be killed in that way. We live in a vile world that believes everybody is going to heaven. <laughs> Just because you die don't necessarily mean you're going to heaven. He said that uh, death and hell followed this rider. Death, that's the body. The body dies, but hell is the soul. Uh, hell or the soul does not go. 
to the grave in death. And this, this refutes soul sleep. And I'm glad of that. I'm glad that when I die, I'm not going to be put in a grave with six feet of dirt over me and sleep. I'm not going to be there. Thank God. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So my body is going in death in the grave, but my soul is going on to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that refutes that. But everybody don't go to heaven just because they die. Heaven is not the payment for your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross. The Bible tells us in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. This passage of Scripture, and I've, I've hurried through it as <laughs> quickly as I could, but uh, it, it makes me think at least two thoughts. First is, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me by His grace and by His mercy. I haven't done a thing in the world to deserve salvation. But Jesus did it all. Amen. Jesus paid it all on Calvary's cross. And He said, Whosoever cometh to Me, I will in no wise cast out. And I came to Him and He received Me. Amen. Saved my soul. Forgave my sin. Put my feet on a solid rock. And He's kept me all of these years. There'd been times that he he would have had a right to just up and move out of this old temple. But I thank God that after all these years, the Lord still lives in this old house. I'm glad that I won't go through the tribulation period that's here on earth. People say, oh yeah, yeah, church is going to go through the first half. Let me tell you something. If you're here the first half, you're going to be here the second half. But I ain't going to be here. The believers won't be here. We're going up to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's the first thought. And then the second thought is that I grieve for those who don't know the Lord as their Savior. I grieve for them. People we meet every day who don't know Jesus. Maybe some in our own family that don't know Jesus. Maybe some of our best friends don't know Jesus. And we're not grieving for them? My, my. If we're not, we need to repent. <laughs> We need to ask the Lord to put some soul on our heart today. All they have to look forward to is a life of pain and misery and an eternity in hell. But thank God it don't have to be that way. Jesus hadn't come yet. This tribulation period hasn't started yet. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart.
Today is the day of salvation. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day will bring. But you have today. You have right now. And I guarantee you, this, this book here is true. I, I don't... I, you said, Brother Howard, do you understand all that in Revelation? No. No, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I believe it. And I believe that day is coming. And I believe that, you know, we read a moment ago where that Antichrist is going to go into the temple of God. That means that the temple is going to be rebuilt there in Jerusalem. It is going to be rebuilt. It may not be rebuilt on the Temple Mount, but they're already saying, archaeologists are saying, hey, we've found the city of David where the Temple was, and it's not up there on the Temple Mount. But they're having a problem convincing those old diehards that that Western Wall wasn't the Temple Wall. We know it wasn't because Jesus said not one stone will be left here upon the other. They said, well, you know, we don't, uh, we don't believe Jesus was anybody. He didn't know what he was talking about. Yes, he did. That western wall was not a part of the temple. Couldn't be because the temple was destroyed. All right, I got hushed. But let me tell you something. Jesus is coming soon. The time is running out. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today is the day. Right now. Amen. Get up out of your seat and come up here and ask Him for the forgiveness of your sin and for the salvation of your soul, and He'll do it. If you're here today and you're a Christian and, and you're not concerned with your family, your friends, uh, with those out there that you come in contact with all the time, then you need to you need to do business with God and ask Him to put a soul on your heart. Pray for them. Seek their salvation. Do everything in your power to bring them face to face with Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and sing closing hymn. Little book, number 123. Number 123. <coughs> soul by sin oppressed there's mercy with the Lord and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save you now for jesus shed his precious blood rich blessings to be now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save 